And here we go. Let's see. And we're live. Good afternoon, everyone. Hopefully you're doing great on this wonderful Tuesday. Forgive me for not being in the office. I'm on the field. We'll be in the field today and tomorrow. Um, we're filming some crazy stuff that I'm sure you guys will each enjoy. But no matter where you are, I hope you're having a blast and having a good day. Ashton Campbell, I know, I know you want to do the van and get it started up. Tell you what, next week, Tuesday, I should be in the facility and we'll definitely do it then. Hello, Jens914. How are you? Hope everything is well with you this wonderful afternoon. Um, thank you so much. Hello, Rod. I owe you a call, don't I, Rod, sir? Good seeing you. I'm going to wave to you really quick. What's good, one love, one eight eight eight. Hopefully all is well. Ah, New Zealand's in the house, courtesy of Low Shuttle. Thank you so much for joining indeed. Thank you for understanding, Ashton Campbell. I'm going to love that as well. Hello, Campfire Rasta. Love it, love it. Hello, Zacharias Pop. Good afternoon to you. And by the way, you know, there's a gentleman in here, um, Rodbot, Rod, my good friend. He's someone who I've known for many, many years. You guys may have heard of SpeedFact. Hello, sir. How are you? You guys may have heard of a, a little website known as Speed Hunters. He put that together when he was in the UK. Speaking of the UK, hello, James Steventon. This gentleman, Rod Chung, is like a brother to me. Um, someone who I admire very much. We have so much in common. He has a lovely red Twin Turbo 935X that you guys see so much on my page. I love him dearly. He's been just a great addition to my life. Helped me get together with Need for Speed. Did some wonderful things with Project Car. Introduced me to guys from Robo Race. Doing some wonderful things with Mattel. This gentleman is just an amazing individual who knows and loves everyone. So thank you, Rod, for being my life. I appreciate you indeed. And yeah, this boy Julio, yeah, I love Speed Hunters as well. You can thank Rod for that excursion. Epic Rider 72, hello Ken, sir. Ken is a good friend of mine as well. Started off his life, interacted with me in a tuning capacity with his Accord. He then since moved on to doing things with Subaru. And he has, I believe, a very tight relationship with Kia now. I think he still works there. So Epic Rider, Ken, good seeing you indeed, sir. How do you come off so nice, asked Reef Ghost. I really need to learn from you. Well, I'm positive. You know, I am big on thinking positive. It's extremely important to me. Guys, if any of you sat down with me and we had a good discussion on how my life has been for the past half a decade, you guys would probably freak out because so many crazy things happen. But I always look for a silver lining. I really do trust God and the universe and allow things to happen naturally. And even though I'm not just going to lay down, allow you know, the, the, the waves of life to roll all over me, I take a positive spin on no matter what happens. Whether it's family, personal, business, work, projects, I have a positive stake on it. And look for a silver lining in every opportunity. I wake up every morning, and people who are close to me know this very well. Every time I step down from the bed, I say thank you, thank you, thank you. Weird, but I know. Quirky, but I do it, and it's true. Because I'm happy that I woke up on the right side of the ground. It's just really good. And I just have that attitude no matter where I am. Even with you guys interacting. I love seeing all of you from around the planet. And no matter where I am, I try and put this you know, little thing together every Tuesday. And interact with each and every one of you. And it's something that I love doing and something that keeps me going as well. And even though it's difficult sometimes, I do it. I look for a positive spin on that as well. I am doing well, Domo F. Hopefully you're having a pleasant day as well. Um, Motek N, good friend as well, good singer Gabe, hopefully all is well. He has a beautiful Veloster N with the Beast Moto intercooler on it. The, the Beast Moto CSF intercooler with the, double, you know, the, the stepped core and 
you know, pressure drop, all that fun stuff. He said a water meth kit for a CO2 in a cooler kit. What are the pros and cons of water methanol? Well, I'll share with you. Let's talk about the pros first of a water methanol kit. And guys, I really find appealing the AEM kit because it comes completely complete, has a bunch of fail-safes built in. Yes, fail-safes not only internally with its controller, so if you have a problem, it can stop and send out a signal, but also a ground signal that comes out of controller so that you can initiate anything from a boost cut to ignition cut to warning light, you name it. Well, water methanol is actually something that came to in the advent of World War II aircraft. In World War II, it was very hard to get high-octane jet fuels or purified kerosene many times. And since they, a lot of people had access to poor performing fuels, what could you do to improve the octane rating of a fuel for fighter jets? So water methanol came to be very simple. You have a nozzle with water and methanol mixture, ideally 50-50, because methanol is quite combustible. So a high concentration of methanol could be dangerous, and when it burns, it burns light blue, almost clear. So mixing with water makes it a lot more safer. And what that does, it does two major things. It increases the octane rating of the, whatever fuel you're consuming, in this many cases, 91 or diesel. Increases that because of the methanol content. Because methanol has a decent caloric content when you burn it with fuel, but also has a higher um, anti-noctic agent or capability than regular fuel or diesel. So you have that. Secondly, it cools down the intake charge. When atomization occurs, when you put it from a water state to a gaseous state, the water methanol matrix, it does cool down the intake charge. So what does that do? It allows for a cooler intake charge, more denser intake, denser meaning that the molecules of oxygen get closer together. Hence, for every ingestion of the engine, you have an opportunity to have a denser mixture and more power. Bear in mind that the key to making power in any internal combustion engine is to have as much air containing oxygen and the right fuel mixture as possible. And that way you make more power. So it allows for denser intake charge, cooler intakes, and also a higher octane rating. So you can make more power by, in any boost application, applying more boost and or putting more ignition timing safely. Now, what are some of the cons of it? Well, when you have a very high power setup, many times you need a very large nozzle or multiple nozzles. Sometimes the water methanol that's being injected can displace the air that's being ingested. So what that means is you're spraying this mixture inside. That mixture has to take up some volume, and it can be so voluminous that you take away the air that's being ingested by the engine, and hence you could reduce power to some extent. Another con is that ideally to take full advantage of a water methanol kit, you do need to tune it to some extent. And tuning could be reduction slightly of your air-fuel ratio or mixture coming from the engine itself because the methanol now adds more fuel, hence you're running a lot more richer. So if you just add water methanol, you could lose power. Lose power because you're now running a much richer mixture than you need, and your setup could be hurt because of it. Another disadvantage slightly of the water methanol kit is the fact that you do have to fill it up often. So it's not something that is just there like an intercooler. An intercooler is there. It's almost free power when it comes to denser mixtures and cooling down that intake charge because it needs no maintenance whatsoever. But water methanol kits, you have to keep filling up with ideal mixtures of, you know, what I refer to as deionized water combined with lab-based methanol. So it does take some, how should I say, some maintenance. And last but not least, being able to, another con is being able to have some kind of fail-safe in place. Because imagine you set up your car, you lean it out a little bit to take advantage of the methanol matrix that's in your engine now. You have an opportunity to add more ignition timing to take advantage of the 
you know, higher octane that you now have to your advantage. You increase the boost to be able to allow you to have a lot more power. And then you run out of water methanol. And your engine doesn't know. Your, your engine management doesn't know. Your EC doesn't know. You now have more ignition timing, more boost, and less fuel. So you run out, you can expire your engine. But if you have a fuel fail-safe, and I do it on all my cars, um, the twin-turbo IROC, I had water methanol on that, made 850 horsepower, no problem. But what I did was I had my, the, the AEM controller send out a ground signal to my ECU, my AEM ECU. And whenever that ground signal comes in, it puts a boost cut. So if, if I know my water methanol comes in at, let's say, 5 PSI, it'll cut me at 5 PSI. And you say, oh, something's wrong. And I have a light on my dash. It shows me, oh, fill up your tank, BC, or your controller. Something's going wrong with it. Or your pump, something's going wrong with it. Um, so that being said, there are many advantages to it. It's very cost-effective. It's awesome. I love it. I've had success with it for years. But if you do not put fail system in place, you could have a bit of a challenge. So I encourage that entirely. So thank you for that great question. Gabe, I appreciate that indeed. Thank you, Jokai23. I would like that comment indeed. Port Harcourt, or should I say back home, Paracourt is in the house. Courtesy of Ikena, Ikena, Nzwepe. Ikena Dalo. I'm not heard again, no, eh? For those of you who don't know, Paracourt is a very industrial city in the south southeastern part of Nigeria. Um, for those of us who live there, it was a big port. Think of the port of LA. That's what Paracourt is to Nigeria. A lot of goods come in from there. They have a beautiful international airport. Um, very beautiful area, and I miss going there. So, ah, thank you for joining indeed, brother. Just rewash your wagon, says this boy, Julio. On Jay Leno, love it, man. Thank you, Jay. Re Jay loves our projects. So what cars from BC Moto has Jay Leno driven? He's driven the BC Moto IROC Porsche, driven the center seat, twin turbo uh, 986, that converted to a Cayman with a carbon fiber roof. He's driven the 1,000 horsepower minivan that I showed you guys this morning to welcome this particular event. He's driven the K3V recently, which is pretty cool, right? So he's, he's had a great blast with that. Jay loves a lot of our cars. He, he's, he just, and then the wagon, of course. And Jay has shared to me personally that if I build a bicycle, he'd drive it. So one thing that Jay Leno does is that he's had the opportunity to drive a lot of cars. And a lot of people tend to embellish what the power he makes. So one thing Jay likes about what we do at Bicimoto is, and he said this to me firsthand when we were out testing in um, Button, um, Willow Springs, he said, BC, when you bring me a car and you tell me the power, that's exactly what it is, and I appreciate that. So whether it's the, you know, 400-plus horsepower um, center seat, whether it's a 1,000-horsepower minivan, whether it's the, you know, 777-wheel um, horsepower wagon, um, all the way to the 636K3V, we've given him cars that performs the way that we say they do, and he's loved it indeed. So thank you so much. It was the first proper Honda he's ever driven, and he loved it. He called it a bar stool on steroids, which I took as a compliment. Oh my God! What's the process to acquire that mindset? So, call in '93. Um, a process that was embedded into me by my father. My dad, Dr. Ezerioha, is a very positive individual. I'm telling you guys, he's gonna outlive all of us. The guy is just—he exudes positivity, no matter how crazy things are in his life. My mom, who's a brilliant scientist, talks about this a lot. Nothing bothers my dad. He can go to sleep during a war. He's like—he's like—he focuses on things he can control. He stays positive. And he really taught me how to live that life. And I take it a step further by reading new books every other week. So um, for me, education didn't stop with college. I continue to read. I continue to fill my mind with positive thoughts and opportunities. And, you know, I'm not infallible, right? There's times that I may, especially when bad things happen to me from people who I cared about, um, I will tend to, like, sometimes retreat into a not-so-positive place. 
but then I kind of ground myself out. I think about more positive thoughts, read more positive books. Um, the the power of positive thinking is one I'm reading right now, which is amazing. And uh, I think it's a book that Steve Harvey read, and he mentioned it on one of his little podcasts. I'm like, I can read that book, and I did. It's it's, it's amazing, indeed. So yeah, learn from my father, but then I added to it with my own effort. Hope that helps. Okay. Um, Rex Fox Motorsports, looking for projects in Orange County. I may have missed your earlier uh, question, but please do share again. I'll be more than happy to oblige. Hello, R35R13. Ikenandewa once again. Um, I, yeah, I want to know, stay positive. Would it be a great asset to life? Absolutely, guys. I mean, and if you don't have time to, you know, sit down and read a book physically, um, being able to go through Audible, and uh, by the way, I'm not... It's not like I, I'm being paid by these people. It's just something I use. Audible books is something that when I travel a lot, dri- driving or working out, whatever the case may be, I do audiobooks. And, you know, the power of positive thinking is one that's just been fantastic for me, just amazing. And, uh, yeah, you can do that indeed. And it's pretty cost-effective to do Audible as well. Definitely worth the education, by all means, you know? Um, Hello, BC, says Grand Simcier. Would you up your alternator amperage or on something like Enduro car? Um, typically, on endurance cars, I don't unless the demands have improved. Um, what I have to, what I've seen on high performance, high output alternators is that there's no free lunch. To get more amperage out, those particular alternators tend to draw a lot more power. So I've been successful in enduro road race cars with factory alternators. Only when I have the need for systems that demand more do I up it up. So if I have a high performance sound system in the car, or electronics that have been added significantly to my current setup, setup. Let's say I've done this. Let's say on on cars that came with a manual rack. Um, power steering and I upped it to let's say something that's electric and it demanded more amps I would at that case try and weigh out but I'm telling you based upon my experience even with something as simple as a Honda Civic those Honda Civic's factory alternators can draw up to 8 wheel horsepower which is a lot of power if you're looking at a car that you know factory made at 120 or when you start souping them up you want to make more that 8 horsepower can be the difference between winning and losing right so that being said I've even gone backwards. I have, on my CRX, my D-Series, I went to a Tercel alternator from the Civic one, knowing that the Tercel one drew less, you know, drew less energy from the system. It put out less amps, but I was only powering, what, an MSD and one tail light? <laughs> so I didn't need that much. So that being said, I went down, and I picked up power because of it. So, and I'll, sometimes I'll even go as crazy to, you know, change the diameter of the alternator to turn it slower to also release power. So yeah, I don't up, up the up, average at all, but that's a fantastic question, my brother. Appreciate that indeed. Hello to Jay-Z. Good seeing you indeed. Thank you so much for joining me this wonderful afternoon. Car Dude Garage, things are going well. I'm happy, healthy. It's going to be a great week and a great day indeed. Is the two-stage snow meth good for 800 horsepower on a Ford 5.0 Coyote? Uh, Rex for Motorsports, please forgive me, but my experience has been with the AEM ones. So... The AM water methanol kit with a single gallon, I use an 850 wheel horsepower setup. So I can't speak to the brand that you spoke to, but I can speak to what I've done. And I use two of the medium nozzles. I just literally used like a, uh, you know how it comes with that nylon line, I think it's eighth inch. I split it, I used two nozzles and I was fine. For many guys, I'm talking about, I've had that kit in the car since 2009. And it's been just going. And if you, if you need help, Red Fox Motorsports, let me know. Um, I can probably even help you out with a partial sponsorship. I'll help you out. Let me know. I'll get one for you. Help you out. Just DM me here. Um, 
Kovot is here. Hello, Kovot. How are you? Um, Kovot is asking, I think you missed my question, but what is the status of the Orion CC2 add-on module? I hear it's delayed. Tell you what, I'll write to Andrew myself. I just spoke to Andrew last week. I'll find out for you. But you know who's also working on the CCS? AM. But I think you're trying to do some parallel stuff, right? But uh, Kovot, do me a favor. And by the way, guys, Kovot, great guy, an engineer. Hopefully I get to see you again in July up north in Sonoma. Uh, great engineer, building this beautiful Corvette, E-Vignette. I love his mindset and what he thinks and his mind, his mind I just love it. Um, send me a DM code to remind me because I have so much going on today. I will send Andrew a message and find out. But yeah, CCS is the way to go. For those of you who don't know who CCS2 is, um, this is like a combined charging system setup. On my K3V, the one that you guys have seen on my page, I have two ways of charging. I have a standard J1772, which by level 1 or level 2 I can charge, but when completely depleted, it can take up to 11 hours to charge, right? So you plug it in and it takes forever. But I also have this ability for rapid charging. And I do what is known as Chatmo. I can charge up my setup in 32 minutes and be done. This is other port. But the challenge is, from a manufacturing perspective, from sheer economics, having two holes in your car is not the greatest. If you have a vehicle you're trying to convert and you want to look very OEM, it's better to just use one opening, right? The original opening in the gas door than trying to put more holes in your car. So what CCS does, it allows the ability for combined charging opportunity. You can have these two big modules underneath for direct DC to DC charging with high amperage and high voltage, so you can do the charge quickly. And you can use the same opening for your regular J1772 port. So it's almost like eating your cake and having it too. You have one opening, which as you can imagine for a manufacturer that builds millions of cars, right? Every door costs, so think of a million cars, and let's say it's even a dollar to even pull one. That's a million dollars. So it adds up. So having one opening is a lot more efficient. So um, the challenge is the protocol is a little bit more involved. There's a, it's not as simple as an easy CAN system with common area, you know, area network. Um, it's not that easy. With CCS, it uses a different type of communication language, and that can get quite involved. It sends information even about, you know, bin numbers. A lot goes on. So it tends to be a little more expensive, but my friends from Orion said they're going to work on it, and my guys at AGMV are working on it with Holly. So, Kovot, I will find out for you indeed, I promise. I promise indeed. Hello, and Thimov, hopefully all is well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Nioka, good seeing you. Thank you so much for joining indeed. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for the love. Um, you cannot compress a liquid, says that is all is. That is correct. Well, you could, but it's very, very challenging. It depends on the density. But yeah, normally you cannot. Can you turn off a switch for the methanol kit? Yes. As a matter of fact, all of my vehicles do have a master switch for turning off and on the water methanol. So yeah, you can do that. As a matter of fact, it's suggested to do that as well. And I have my lit. But um, I also have a, a, a light on my dash. Um, on my Porsche, I have it in the center you know where the high beam is on a Porsche 911 and you have the high beam light that lights up blue? I have my light in there. Ryan from Ryan helped me wire that up. So it lights up there and shows. On my in original wagon, I just had um, it on one of the plates that were available for switches. And every time it, you know, it powered up, it would like light up a little bit. And then when the watermelon comes on, it would like kind of flicker. And then if there's an error, it will flash the code. So yeah, definitely. Definitely need. Um, 
I had a thought. Maybe you could shed light on some. Would a BOV help with the fuel efficiency in Infinity VR30? Well, blow valves really don't help with efficiency. And if I remember something correctly, the boosted VR30 does have a blow valve already, but it's recirculated. So, for those of you who know what blow valve is, it is pretty much a pop-off valve or a gate that allows safety in a turbocharged or supercharged system. Now, you may say, okay, why do I need that? So, I'll make it very simple. Think of a turbo system, right, or supercharged system. Let's focus on turbos. Same concept, different ways of doing it, but same concept. And you're pressurizing the intake, right? You're pushing air into the intake. You're creating this amazing mass flow rate. You're adding a mile of fuel. You're making a lot of power. You have all this boost, engines revving up, you have boost going in, all this mass flow rate going in, fantastic. But then you let off the throttle and you shut the throttle body. You have all this boost built up, where does it go? It has two options. <coughs> Excuse me. Two options it has. Push past your throttle body and bend it, destroy it, whatever the case may be, cause problems. Or go back to the turbo that's already spinning one direction, stall it and make it spin the other way. The air has to go somewhere. So as you can imagine, if it goes through the throttle body, that's kind of bad for your throttle body, not very good. Um, your car will slow down. You can, I can just name a multitude of issues with that. Going and turn the turbo backwards can not only destroy the veins of the turbo, it can destroy the cartridge itself, it can destroy the shaft. It, you don't want the turbos spinning at a high RPM, 20,000 RPM plus stalling and going the other way. So what happens is, in between the turbo and the throttle body is this device known as a blower valve. So it's literally a little valve that has a vacuum line going to intake. So when it senses vacuum, meaning that the, the throttle body is shut, the engine is still pumping, it creates a vacuum in the intake manifold, that then signals the blower valve to open the valve and let that air out. So you hear that tss or right? Or so that's what blow valve does. So it's there for a safety thing, not necessarily efficiency. Now, it sounds cool. Some people love it. A few people don't. Manufacturers tend to recirculate that back, that shh, they put it back into the system for two reasons. One, to muffle it, because some people don't like the sound. Kind of scares some people. I like it. Two, if you have what is known as a MAF, mass airflow meter, that is a device that tells your engine management or computer how much air came in the engine to give amount of fuel. And that amount of air is very critical because you have to account for how much air is coming into the engine to meter fuel properly. And that usually occurs before the turbo, right? So if you take air in and the ECU says, hey, wait a minute, this amount of air came in, I need to give this amount of fuel to keep the engine safe, and you blow off some of the air, there's no way that the mass airflow meter can compensate for it. So since in a closed system, most manufacturers, when they do that blow off, they put that air back in the system so it can be accounted for, so the engine can be safe. So I hope that helps. So in your case with the VR, with the Nissan Infinity setup, it doesn't help with efficiency, it's just a safety thing. Many times, if the manufacturer didn't compensate for it, like Honda's done a good job with some of the later gen Civics where it has a combination of math and map, mass airflow, and you know, and, and, and manifold air pressure kind of combines the two. Uh, it's not big, a big problem, but with some cars, they're really critical with math, and if you evacuate that to atmosphere, it will cause a rich mixture which can stall the car, make it feel weird, just not efficient. So in that case, you want to put it back in. You can go with a more efficient setup that can flow more and make things very nice, but um, long story short, you want to keep an internal and internal. We do that with the Porsches a lot, unless we convert them to mass airflow or what we call a speed density, and then we can vent to atmosphere. Indeed, you know?
My workers in Peckham says, Colin, Colin, 93, thank you so much for the kind words. O'Reilly says, tell Jay, Gravitron Motors would like to show him the latest concept electric truck. Alright, let's keep in touch. Maybe I can make that happen. Jay loves us. And the more, the merrier. He's a very big advocate of this newer means of propulsion. So yes, I'm sure he'll be open to that indeed. That's amazing, says his boy Julio. Appreciate that indeed. Appreciate the kind words. Thank you so much. Um, why does everyone want to question your horsepower numbers? I can answer that, youngster, because human nature. The one thing that has happened to me throughout my entire time in motorsports is that people just don't believe some of the things I do. Um, everything from when I used to street race, which is very bad, today. One thing that people have to realize is that because an individual cannot do it doesn't mean no one else can do it. So if I can make 450 wheel horsepower natural aspirated on a D series, I mean on an F series, I can do it because of the skill sets that, you know, either to education or that God has provided me, I can do that. And I'll share that with the world. Because someone who doesn't have the same experience or education that I can do it doesn't mean it's not possible. Um, some people just don't believe it. I remember one that comes to mind is the D-Series wagon. Uh, when we made 720 horsepower, people, I mean, they pers when it got to not being able to attack the technology, they attacked me personally. And I took it normal BC fashion in stride and put the technology out there. Well, fast forward to today, guess what? People have done 8, 850, 900 wheel horsepower with a D-Series with the same technology I provided. I just opened the door, provided the environment, and everyone else was able to take advantage of it. But think back to how much I was attacked then. Think how much to how much uh, people were just viciously attacking me at the time. And even though I took it in good spirits, I knew. So it's part of the, you know, the territory. What I've noticed in the world is that when you do something extraordinary, initially people would attack you. Then they'll attack you, then they'll test you, then they'll embrace you. So it's just normal. And it'll keep happening as we continue to pave new paths. And even if you do the same thing, if you create something that's very exciting and very good, you'll notice that people attack you and doubt you too. And then after some time, when people see that, oh my God, this guy knows his stuff, they'll embrace you and great things continue to happen. So one thing is that I don't let it discourage me. If anything, it encourages me to do even more. So I expect more to happen and even more doubts to come. I will take it from there. I missed a very good question. Um, the boy Julio said, going to DM you, be serious parts? No problem. I look forward to that indeed. Um, what are your take on liquid air intercoolers on, what, on daily dream cars? I like it. I love liquid air. It's way more efficient. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. For those of you who are not aware of the two very popular beans of cooling intake, you know, above and beyond the watermark thing, air-to-air -air intercoolers and liquid-to-air. Air-to-air is very straightforward. You have this heat exchanger that looks like a radiator. Um, you have the compressed air go through it, which is pretty hot, and you cool it down to keep things safe and create more power. And you use air that the car is rushing through to do the heat exchange. <coughs> Excuse me. Then you have liquid-to-air intercoolers. Liquid-to-air is a little bit different. It uses a liquid medium to allow for heat exchange to occur. And what that does is, since water has a very huge capacity to remove heat from environment, being a liquid, it does a very good job in really cooling intake charges down, which is amazing. And you can even take it a step further. You could chill, you could put ice in the container that holds the water for the liquid air cooler, and you could get air that's below ambient. With an air-to-air, -air, the best you can ever get, ever, all things being equal is the fact that you can be close to ambient air. But with liquid air, you can be beneath that. Now here's another great opportunity. I have seen well-designed air-to-air intercoolers stay, still stay within 20 degrees of ambient, meaning that it's, you know, if it's an 80-degree 80, 80 day, you can see as much as 100 degrees before you have to update it. 
but I've seen very efficient liquid air where it's exactly, exactly ambient indeed. You know? So that being said, um, it's, it's, just, it's just an amazing, amazing opportunity to become more efficient. The only challenge, the only challenge that exists about liquid air is the complexity. It's a little more complex, you know? So um, that being said, um, it's just very, very difficult. Very difficult to uh, sometimes put an air-to-air intercooler based upon the uh, front area of a car. Um, air-cooled Porsche is a very common one where the heat exchanger usually exists in the tail in the back. And um, since hot air rises, it can actually heat soak the intercooler and create an environment where it's not the best in terms of heat exchange. What I've done with many air-cooled setups for customers is have a liquid air heat exchanger in the front, despite the complexity, and have a very efficient heat exchanger in the rear to allow for the best, which is pretty nice, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's it. Unfortunately, I have to get back to work. Well, Coolin93, good seeing you indeed. Thank you so much. Appreciate you indeed. And thank you so much for joining us on this particular Tuesday. Let's see here. Oh, thank you so much, Red Fox Motorsports. My pleasure indeed. Thank you. Okay, BC, are you touching a new Gio Corolla? I love it. What they've done, what Toyota's done with the three-cylinder turbo application is amazing. And the car looks fantastic. And I'll tell you guys one thing. I promised you guys this, I think, two weeks ago. I'm going to try my best to be able to get one of those from Toyota and do a proper review and give you first-hand feedback on how that works. You know? Hey, Holly High Voltage says, I mean, Colt, Corvolt says, yeah, Holly High Voltage. Everybody better be there. Hopefully the Savage, the Savage C10 goes there drifting there. That'd be great. That car is, that truck is amazing. And I think this guy, he's done a good job, you know, and, um... Let's see here. Uh, give me one moment. Okay. Here. Some people be good. Okay. All right. Sorry about that, guys. I had to take care of some people here. Um, oh, I did. I did. No problem. Hard 35. It's just some people are that way. But once again, I don't let things get to me. Um, let's see. Sorry about that. All right. Let's see. All right. Okay. Aloha, Golden Boys. Asking, will I ever get into import racing scene again? That's a very good question. Um. I noticed a lot of my peers from the Bergenholz to even the guys from Golden Eagle, um, Lisa Kubo, they're all getting into it. And I, I, don't, I haven't quite decided if I'm going to do that yet, you know? So that being said, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, if I do, I can tell you one thing. It may be a little different type of propulsion. That's what I may end up doing. It may be that. Meaning, you know this whole new thing with electric? I think I should say that, not give too much away, which is pretty nice. Give too much, you know? 
Um, let's see. Recommendations for squeezing extra power out of an old American architecture NA motor, 302 base 304 stroker V8. Dave Hansen, even though a lot of people used to say that there is no replacement for displacement, turbocharging is the way to go. By all means, having the opportunity to explore turbocharging with a single or dual, especially in our days with the advance in aerodynamics with compressor wheels and turbines and all that good stuff, with advances in technology in terms of engine management, all that fun stuff, those are ways that you can really, really, really take care of that. And you not only will have a more efficient setup, you will have the opportunity to be able to make a lot of power reliably. Um, there are companies that, like, um, what's our good friend? Um, uh, I'm trying to draw, I'm drawing a blank. He used to work with Turbinex quite a bit. And he does Nelson, Nelson Racing Engines. They do a wonderful job with that same engine style and have created a lot of good reliable power. So that would be a very good opportunity for you, indeed. You know? So let's see here. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, hello, DJ Ramarov. How are you? Good seeing you, indeed. Thank you so much for joining. And those guys, you know, are... Um, There are so many rude people here. Okay, there we go. All right. Yeah, safely, by all means. Um, safely indeed. You know. Uh, could I convert my OBD0 to OBD2 just for the NOC sensor? Actually, you don't have to. So Grand Civic CA is actually a very good question, and this question is actually quite ideal. Um, NOC sensors are like glorified microphones, and what they do is they initiate the opportunity to see Knock, precognition. And what you typically do is, you know, you have this opportunity where either you have bad fuel, you have too much ignition timing, or you have an opportunity where there's precognition that occurs without a spark plug, and that's really very bad. What you don't want to have happen is a piston come up, and maybe because of the type of fuel or what's going on, that you have an opportunity where the ignition happens before that's ideal. And what ends up happening is you have the, the precognition occur, and it can either destroy um, gaskets, destroy pistons themselves, or create big problems for you. So, what a knock sensor does is it senses that knock, it hears precognition or slight rattling of the piston, and it alerts your engine management solution or factory ECU to be able to retard timing or add fuel to keep you safe. So, what do you typically do when you have the opportunity to initiate a knock sensor in OBD0? What I've done is use an engine management solution like an AEM Infinity or AEM EMS that allows you to have a knock sensor output. A very popular knock sensor to use is one from GM. GM has a very cost-effective one. You can get them from any post store for like $20. You can, I usually try to place it near the hottest cylinder. So if it's an inline four that has a one, three, four, two firing order, cylinder three is always the hottest. And why? Because cylinder one ignites, cylinder three ignites, then four ignites right next to three, and then two ignites right next to three. Three never has a chance to cool down. So that being said, you have the opportunity to have a number three cylinder always runs hot. You can add fuel or retire timing slightly in that cylinder automatically. But if you put a knock sensor up on top closest to that, you can have the opportunity to get a better knock sensing. And then by sending that signal to the ECU, and you know, AM has all these great protocols where you can initiate knock and all this other stuff and then see what your knock floor or knock ceiling should be. 
You can easily, based upon cylinder or global um, dampening, add fuel retard timing to keep your cylinder safe. So that being said, it works out very nicely. Hello, Brianna Jones. Good seeing you. Rose, how are you, Rose? Happy Tuesday to you. For those of you who don't know Rose, she's someone who I worked with very nicely on the Mythbusters show. An amazing, talented fabricator and a good friend. Someone who's helped me definitely and it's just been a great addition to my life. And here we go. I think there's also... Who did I miss here? Uh... Oh, Keith Williams. Hello, sir. So, guys, speaking of positivity, Keith Williams is a gentleman who um, pushed the exhaust system from us, was quite disappointed with the fact that we couldn't get it to him on time and then did some very th you know poor things that weren't very clever you know very very nice so that being said um he's made it i guess a bit of a a task to be very obtuse towards me um i wish you the best keith i'm so sorry that you didn't get your exhaust on time because covid affected our team and i'm trying to keep my team safe and do great things I'm so sorry it took it much longer than ideal to get you exhausted to you, but I hope you really do enjoy it and hope that whatever makes you feel comfortable in being very mean to people comes to pass. I really do. So I wish you the best nonetheless, and please enjoy. Enjoy indeed. Nonetheless, I appreciate you, and maybe one day you and I can sit down, uh, have a glass, and have a good time. But um, I hope all is well with you, and I do wish you the best. I want to be the, the next owner of the wagon, says this boy Julio. Oh, it's not for sale yet, but guess what? If it does go for sale, I will definitely let you know indeed, okay? I thought you what you say you were sending EV Porsche. No, Brian, um, I could build one for you, and we have quite a few clients where we can do that, but I am not selling one at this time, at least not the pink one. Hello, JDM Boxer. Good seeing you. Hopefully all is well. Thanks as long as we live. Amen. Amen to you as well, DC5. Thank you, Brianna. You are amazing as well. Um, Brian says, oh, Koba says, oh, God, don't tempt me to start selling the K3Vs. He's bust enough as it is. <laughs> I think he meant busy enough. Yes. Okay, let's see here. DC5 owner says, question, BC, how in California do you drive on public roads with a highway patrol behind you with straight public exhaust? I get harassed by them all the time. It depends. So one thing in California is if you have a vehicle that is pre-small, pre-emissions, meaning anything that's 1975 or earlier, it's not a problem. So one thing about turbocharging, as you've seen, I, I, don't, I wouldn't dare drive my Insight, right? My natural aspirated F22A, I would definitely not drive that on the street. That's just not legal at all um, for many reasons. But the 75 portion, you know, 935, by all means, you know, I can do that. The 75 hour portion, no problem whatsoever. So it's not a challenge. If anything, if I get pulled over by Power Patrol, it's for them to admire it. So that being said, you know, no problem whatsoever. Miss Jeannie Kelly, thank you for the support. Jeannie, how are you? I think you're still in Texas. Uh, Jeannie is a good friend. I, God, I've known her since the night. Was it since the 90s or early 2000s? I think since the 90s I've known you. And she's just been, she's part of our scene. I started doing her own thing. We really appreciate you. I appreciate you a lot. Thank you so much, you know. What do you think of the 2.8 liter VR6 as a float topper? I have never, ever played with that engine. Um, I haven't. I just haven't. I haven't done much of anything with VR6s, so please forgive me indeed. Um, to my Raptor, says Neva Lacken, I do have flash tunes for the Raptor. Let me know what year you have, and maybe I will have a proper setup for you. Indeed. 
Um, see me on the 105. What was I driving? Never let me know. Hello, Brother Jazz. Good seeing you indeed. Thank you, JSLB. Appreciate that indeed. God bless you as well, DZ5 owners, and hopefully I answered your question properly. Okay. Well, guys, when do we see you in Germany? Wow, I haven't been in Germany in almost half a decade. Maybe, best case, this summer. Worst case, next year. How about that? Maybe I can do that, you know? Too bad we don't get a Joe Yaris. I prefer two-door cars, says McGreet Morning. I know, I know. It's just, many times manufacturers are challenged with the task of making something that can be really mass accepted. So people tend to gravitate towards sedans or set up four-door hatchbacks. So that's typically what happens. Oh, you saw me in the Kona, my bad Kona. Thank you so much. Appreciate that indeed. Thank you so much, R35, R30. Just didn't like his comment. No, it happens. Once again, it comes with territory. As anyone, you know, has a good platform because it's popular, people, you know, just come in just to be difficult, you know. So, yeah, doesn't matter. Comes with it. Ah, Duke. One of them mother. Guys, Duke is an amazing gentleman. My country brother does amazing things when it comes to high-end watches, a luxury lifestyle. If you need to rent a yacht, boat, plane, he is the man. He can, he can help you tremendously. DJ Ramarov says, what are your thoughts on Honda and Ford dropping SEMA? It's more than that. Um, I'm looking down because a lot of my partners are leaving SEMA. Um, Turbonex is not going to be there this year. Honda's not going to be there this year. I spoke to my partners at Hyundai. They're not going to be there this year. Ford has always had a huge presence in Central Hall. Combined with Ford, you know, outside, where they had the Ford all out outside. It's really disturbing for me. Uh, SEMA is a very valuable entity, especially when it comes to speaking for us and being able to bandwagon for us and represent us in Washington. I love the SEMA show. It's been a great platform and environment for me to launch a lot of products and technology. The fact that they're leaving really, really disturbs me. But um, what can we do? So um, I'm going to stay positive and continue to support the companies that are still there and continue to great, do great things with SEMA. Um, and with the hopes that next year it will be a little different. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me on this particular Tech Tuesday. Hope you guys had a blast and hope I was able to explore with you properly. Um, I will have this up indefinitely here on the DCMoto um, channel. And also, see what I'm recording right here? That is the podcasting networks that explore this as well. So whether you're listening to uh, Podbean, uh, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever your favorite podcasts are, just search for Bismoto, I'll come up, and you can hear me whether you're walking the dog, using the loo, having a blast, whatever the case may be. All right, take care, everyone. Have a pleasant afternoon, and see you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.